Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. We begin the show here, or at least the uh, live guests on the show, with Michael LeBlanc, Senior Retail Advisor at the Retail Council of Canada and the host of the, uh, the Voice of Retail podcast. Michael, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Al. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah. Happy Cyber Monday. Um, I was surprised, and and maybe I knew this uh, from the past, but I was surprised when I was looking at some numbers today to see that um, Cyber Monday is by far overall, now maybe not in Canada, you help me out on this, but overall it is by far the biggest dollar day, even bigger than Black Friday. Uh, well, it would probably could be this year. I mean, it's been a uh, a huge online day. It really is a focal point for online retail. Now, when you step back and you look at all the kind of major events of the holidays, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Boxing Day, uh, you know, Canadians are telling us that they're spending more or intend to spend more on Black Friday and then a little bit less uh, on Cyber Monday. So 37% mm. of Canadians said they would spend on Black Friday, 25% on Cyber Monday, 27% on Boxing Day. The the noise in the data really is that it's a weekend event for many, right? It, like sure. Cyber Monday is like a capstone event on top of a weekend of events. So the the data gets a bit noisy. I do expect this to be a runaway biggest e-commerce day in history on both sides of the border. So we can talk about that as well. Yeah. And then will we going forward in years to come see those numbers much higher because of this pandemic we may get vaccines and you know we may not be in a pandemic but i really think this is a shift when it comes to retail isn't it well it's certainly a great acceleration i mean what you're asking is the the multi-billion dollar question which is what of the changes that uh, the COVID era has brought to retail and, and all of our lives will stick in any way shape or form so let's assume you know, based on what we know today, there's some great news about a vaccine, at least on the way for 2021. So we've got right. you know, many months still of uh, in and out of quarantine and, and hot zones or whatever. And mm-hmm. I do think that there is no way that retail is going to return to its pre-COVID before time rate. I also do suspect, though, that, you know, we're social animals, right? Shopping is more than a transaction. It's also about getting together its culture. So this broad-based shift to e-commerce this year uh, I don't think, I think that's a bit, um, I'm not sure exactly it's going to be replicated in the same way, shape, or form. I mean, you can imagine with stores closed across Manitoba, only open to essentials and, and much the same, you know, Alberta, 25% of stores. You can imagine that e-commerce will just, the numbers will just be bananas that, today. But you can also imagine when stores open, and we saw a bit of this in the summer as things kind of simmered down a little bit, people went back to the stores because I think we're all going to yearn for, for our lives to return to normal and part of being normal is, is going out with your friends and hanging out and, and uh, you know, shopping together. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see in, in, the, in the months and, and years to follow. Yeah, I'm going to play some audio later on. Abi Khan, who's a local uh, restaurant owner and, and a business guy, he started up here in Winnipeg, um, goodlocal.ca. And they have been overwhelmed because people want to support local right now. And, and in many cases, they can only do it online unless they want to get out there and, and wear a mask and, and take a chance at a time when restrictions are in place, making it so that only essential products can be purchased. Yeah, well, of course, they can, they can support them curbside. The interesting part about, yeah. you know, as you know, you shop online and, and pick up at the curb. And that's the case uh, in Manitoba and many provinces. 
the important part of that is you need a curb to have. In other words, a store, you need the store to exist. And local retailers are just a vital component of the community. I mean, again, I think what we what is yet to be seen, but we can see some indications. Let's, let's keep in mind, millions of Canadians are working from home that weren't pre-COVID. The likelihood that I don't know, two-thirds of them are going to go back to work in an office is probably, you know, from the folks I've been talking to, best guess. So, you know, that means that a third of us may be working from home, or at least those who can work from home. I think that calls for things like the 15-minute city, that, that you're going to shop more locally. You're not going to go into where you did before. Listen, no matter what happens, we know that there's been a giant circuit breaker on consumer behavior and and we'll we don't understand everything that's going to happen today, but it's it's going to be something that we're going to, going to watch closely each and every day. Help me out. I heard the term fifteen minute city. Explain that a bit more for me. Well, it's a kind of an urban planning idea that everything you need can be can be found within fifteen minutes of where you live. So it it is these kind of idea that there's an ecosystem of of service providers and retailers and and all the things you need within the area of your city. In other words, uh, with so few people or less people commuting into downtown urban, uh, urban areas, does that mean they look for the goods and services that are just close to them? Because a lot of what we do is, you know, when you're into work and maybe you'll pop out and get something, a gift, something to eat, uh, get your hair cut. Uh, well, if you're working from home, then your locus of activity just begins a little, to be a little smaller. So it's this idea of, of full cities that where the local main street thrives because people are living and working there. So it's, it's just a change. Uh, a change has been coming in one way, but it, it's certainly been accelerated or transmogrified by the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. I wish I, I didn't get the, I should have jotted this down and I forgot to, but I was watching an interview on the weekend. Uh, they were talking to an author of a new book, and I'll, I'll try and get the details on this for later on for listeners. Uh, but basically, uh, Amazon and health and healthcare, Amazon's a company that's kind of built for a pandemic. And mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, healthcare is sort of uh, the new frontier uh, online, this guy believes. And, and any thoughts on that? Well, Amazon as an organization is very good at disrupting inefficient industries. Uh, so in the U.S., and particularly that's where they're going to focus, uh, healthcare is, uh, you know, in some ways inefficient, whatever you want to describe it. They bought, they being Amazon, bought a, a pharmacy-type company actually a couple of years ago called PillPack. So there's right, no question it, that yeah. they're, they're going to turn their minds as an organization to organizations or, or industries they find where there's inefficiencies where they can deliver value. So, you know, listen, as, as large retail continues to integrate pharma, as an important part of our life, we see it with grocery stores, right? Grocery stores both either purchase or have pharmacies. It's not surprising that Amazon would turn its mind to thinking about uh, healthcare. And and as an organization that, that can be very innovative, as as many retailers are, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the in the months and years ahead for sure. And we saw something sort of interesting on the weekend, late last weekend into the weekend here in Winnipeg. One of the big stores, Costco, on McGilvery here in Winnipeg was fined $5,000 for mm-hmm. selling uh, non-essential items. And then there was a Walmart where you could drive up. It wasn't really pickup. You drive up, pick the items you want out of a flyer, and then they deliver them to your car in 15 minutes. And according to Dr. Roos, and that goes against the public health orders because the public health order says order online and right. pick up curbside, um, it, you know, and, and I, I just, I guess, just give me your thoughts on that. You know, I, I think we're all, or, or many people anyhow, 
don't like it when these when you try and find a workaround, a way around these these rules. And I'm I'm wondering what the impact might be on a on a store like Walmart that tries to do that and and you know break the spirit of the public health order. Well, I think that any brand, any retail brand, any kind of brand has to be careful these days. And and these are complicated issues. I mean, the sure. legislation is complicated. What can or cannot be allowed and. And, you know, where complication meets innovation, I think you have some uh, a bit of brand risk. So I think for many brands, uh, we would advise measure twice and cut once, you know, the old carpenter nostrum. Um, you know, think about uh, what curbside means. Think think about occupancy. I mean, these, you know, these can be hectic days. This is the busiest time of these are the busiest days of the year for retailers. And, and uh, you know, as, as retailers try to manage the traffic manage the demands, customers who don't understand they can't grab this off the shelf and buy it. And, you know, that's very, uh, you know, it's complex and, and uh, mistakes can be made. But I think from a brand perspective, uh, like I said, the best advice would be to kind of measure twice, cut once, um, and where, you know, where you can uh, try to figure out what what in this very fast-moving set of, of uh, circumstances uh, is, uh, is appropriate for you. Yeah, and, you know, if we can get these numbers, we can flatten the curve again and get these numbers lower. I mean, we may be into a different set of restrictions in, in hopefully two or three weeks. So, you know, we've got to sort of keep an eye on things, and, and yeah. it's uh, sort of day-to-day at this point. Michael, thanks a lot for this. Oh, thanks for having me back on. Chris Adams, political scientist at the University of Manitoba, joins us now on the phone. Chris, good afternoon. Hi, Hal. Nice to be on your show again. Yeah, thank you very much for doing this. So we're uh, this afternoon uh, going to get in Ottawa a uh, fall economic statement. And uh, listen, obviously a lot of money is being spent right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Some politicians say now's the time to spend, spend more. Others are saying we're spending too much. And uh, I guess we'll kind of see where we're at. What's your sense uh, when it comes to the country, do you do you think uh, people are okay with spending now because of the circumstances we find ourselves in? Well, there are some concerns that maybe there's too much money going out um, to what's needed because, you know, there's been a lot of uh, um, expenditures since March announced. And uh, there are some concerns, but at the same time, Christia Freeland, uh, Freeland has made a point that this is not the time to be worried I, I would say that now that we're seeing um, vaccinations, you know, around the corner in Canada, probably everybody won't get uh, safely done till till late summer or September. I would think that people are now thinking, okay, well, we can open up the coffers now, and we'll have to we'll have to close them up as the year goes on. But how we haven't had a budget since 2019, which is highly unusual. Um, we missed a budget last March due to COVID. And uh, so this is a, a long-awaited uh, financial update from the federal government. It won't be a full-blown budget, though, will it? No, no, it won't be. And uh, but it will give us a sense of of where we are in terms of projected deficits. And uh, you know, you go back to 2015, the federal election, and Justin Trudeau was was promising the electorate that he would have moderate deficits of 10 million dollars each year. Well, this uh, September, the parliamentary budget officer has forecasted a, a deficit of three hundred and twenty-eight billion dollars. So, a hundred, uh, you know, a hundred times, uh, ten times more than um, what was originally projected. No, thirty times more than what was mm-hmm. originally projected back in two thousand and fifteen. So, yeah. there are some causes for concern, but at the same time, 
I think you you and I know that Canadians are very concerned about um, not having enough money to to pay their rent and their food bills and and uh, and if you run a small business, it's a pretty difficult situation to be in. It seems like forever ago when uh, uh, Parliament was prorogued and uh, you know and, and and yet that wasn't that long ago and I think that was a a, a ploy in a sense for the yeah. Trudeau government to sort of change the channel. And I wonder, I, here's what I feel, and I think a lot of other people feel the same way about this. Yes, we're going through a pandemic. Yes, it's important to spend money where needed. But are they taking advantage of this situation, not updating us on what's up until now? Anyhow, we'll see what uh, Freeland says this afternoon. But are they taking advantage of the situation and, and using it to, to sort of cloud things a bit so that they don't have to tell us as much as maybe they would normally have to? Yeah, well, if you remember how that we, uh, when it was prorogued, it was in the middle of the WE um, charity scandal. Yeah. And that kind of closed down the conversation on that. And then we had raised expectations during the summer that this would be some sort of gigantic uh, um, uh, speech from the throne in, in the fall time. And uh, we really just we didn't get a huge speech from the throne. It wasn't uh, revolutionary in terms of climate change and things like that. And now and, and we we're expecting uh, some form of a budget or a, or a financial updates. Well, we're only getting the financial update. But I, I do think the numbers will be uh, will be fairly um, will be as good or as as accurate as, as they can make them out to be. I don't think there's a smoke screen going on in this in this announcement at uh, 3 p.m. Winnipeg time but at the same time i think the federal government is hoping that they can get past this phase and and get on to a period in which things can become more level we have to remember we're still in a minority government and um they need the the support from the ndp to continue to survive as a minority government so some parts of this fiscal update today i'm sure will have things uh, relating to what the ndp has been calling for well, and Trudeau's been taking some heat as well from opposition politicians over uh, Canada's ability to get their hands on vaccines and, and get people uh, injected with the vaccine. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, expectation that some logistics have to be set out. Um, the 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 uh, what I've read, I'm a political scientist, not a yeah, not a medical sure. doctor or scientist, but. What I've been able to to understand is is that the um, the uh, facilities we have in Canada are not the ones that can produce this type of vaccine. So I think we'll be what I see or what I've read is that we'll be second in line. That is, the countries producing these vaccinations, such as the United Kingdom, United States, Germany, will serve their most immediate needs, and then we're second in line because we've done pre-purchase orders. So what I saw this weekend was the um, uh, the federal government saying that we expect to have everybody in a safe situation at September. Uh, the New York Times this morning was was giving for the United States uh, a period of May for Americans. So that would mean we'd be three or four months after the Americans are, are in a safe situation. Mm-hmm. Your uh, pollster friend Daryl Bricker was on the start this morning talking about Prime Minister Trudeau's essentially his approval rating, which is around 60%. And, then, and when you consider, you mentioned the WE scandal and all the money yeah. that's being spent right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. 60% is a pretty nice number, although according to Bricker, uh, that number is not translating uh, to voters. So people that actually vote don't feel that strongly about the Prime Minister, but that's pretty pretty impressive. 
Yes, you know, my past colleague, uh, Daryl yeah. Bricker, who I knew at Angus Reed Group and, and then later at Ipsos, but yeah, I was looking at the polling numbers, expecting your question, Hal, and uh, there are three recent polls that are fairly new. Main Street Research, which has had problems before, but is is, uh, is fairly accurate when they're doing province-wide or countrywide surveys. Main Street has a, has a 7% gap between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Abacus just came out with a poll, and they're, they're about seven points between liberals and the conservatives and ipsos last week came out with a poll that their liberals are six points ahead of the conservatives so that's pretty good in light of um you know the difficulties the liberals have had and that uh, the conservatives have a fairly strong leader now in the form of aaron o'toole who's who's gotten some pretty good press in the past two months uh chris thank you very much for your time appreciate it thanks Hal. talk to you later bye-bye the owner of my ODR, Ryan Starkel. Ryan, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going, Hal? Excellent. Thanks for doing this. And, of course, ODR stands for Outdoor Rink. Essentially, you build outdoor rinks uh, for people in their in their backyards. I would imagine <laughs> your business is booming right now. Uh, it's absolutely crazy, actually. But uh, we added another level to that, too, for those people that just can't quite afford to uh, pay someone to you know, build a ring for them. We actually do do it yourself kits. So I'm prefabbing kits for people if they want to buy them at a, a lot cheaper rate. And I can actually drop it off at your house. Uh, prefabbed, all the hardware, all you got to do is put it together yourself. And I dummy proof it. So, we don't, yeah, just another level we're throwing in there just to make it a little bit easier for other people to get rings in their backyard and they can do it themselves. Because people are looking for things they can do outdoors uh, and be safe with these COVID-19 restrictions. You know, we're hearing about tobogganing, although there's not a lot of snow. Um, is it is it cold enough to be freezing for a, a backyard rink? I guess that you're not dealing with a, a real a thick uh, amount of water that needs to freeze, eh? Uh, it's Well, you know, it's, it's making quite a bit of a hassle for me, for sure. It's taking a lot longer. Uh, i got to do it in a little bits because it won't uh, thoroughly freeze otherwise. So, yeah, it's kind of making it a little bit difficult. It's prolonging it, but uh, yeah. I guess it kind of buys me time to catch up on the ones i got to catch up on. How many are you doing between the, the do-your-own and the ones where you roll in and do it for people? How many have you got either done, doing, or booked right now? Okay, well, well uh, do it yourself. I just, I'm just losing that today, so that's something new. Prices are going to be coming out for that right away. So there's none of that going on yet, but it will be shortly. Um, I got about 86 uh, places booked now. I got 20-something on the go. And uh, just hoping to finish off a couple of them today that I've had going for a couple of weeks here. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty hectic. I've had to hire some people. I stopped doing my sales, and I hired someone to take care of the sales part for me just because I can't be answering the phone all the time. You guys keep bugging me and stuff, so I, you know, I heard the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you jumping on for a couple of minutes. It sounds like you're in the middle of building a rink right now. I won't keep you too long. Tell tell me the pricing. How much does it cost to have you come and do it, and what, what do you think you'll be selling these do-it-yourself kits for? Uh, okay, so it's like a 20 by 20 rink. We're coming out and doing it for 800 bucks. Now, I don't have really a set price, but uh, for uh, doing it yourself, I'm thinking around 550 I'd probably be able to make a 20 by 20 rink work. And, um, yeah, so that's probably, you know, you probably save yourself a few bucks there uh, by slapping it together yourself. And like I said, I uh, prefab them, number them, pretty much dummy-proof it. So, yeah, it's yeah. good to go. 
That's a good idea. I, I really think, I mean, obviously you're busy. There's there's a demand for this. How long have you been doing this, Ryan? Well, it's my first year. I, I wanted to do wow. it last year, but I just, I, I didn't plan on this. You know, I wanted to do it as a weekend thing and, uh, you know, make a, about 10 rinks. And by the time I hit 10, I put a couple of pictures of the ones I was doing up and then it's been kind of snowballed since there. So I've had to adapt and I'm trying to find ways to make it so I can get a rink in every backyard because I know everybody wants one and it's hard to fill that demand. Yeah. You know, this is another example, right? I mean, some people are out there struggling right now, and I know you're not on the air here to, to brag. We asked you to come on and talk about this because people are looking for ways to get outside and, and be outside and get some exercise and, and do it safely with these restrictions in place. But this is another example of how this pandemic can be so tough on some people financially in business, and then other people, they find a niche, and you have found that niche, and you're in demand. Yeah, well, I, I can't say I don't feel guilty about it. Like, uh, I know what's going on. I know the struggles people are going through. I have my own struggles as well, you know. But for this to land on my lap, you know, I think I've always been a hardworking guy, and I think that uh, hard, hard work prevails. And, you know, I've always tried to found, find ways to do something to uh, get myself ahead. And I think, you know, eventually, you know, that's going to turn around and be in your favor. And I think it's kind of panned out that way for me. So I'm a little grateful, but at the same time, you know, I do feel a little bit uh, – guilty at the same time because i know some of the struggles people are going through right now how'd you get this idea to do this did you see it somewhere else or are other people doing this across the country or i'm uh, i'm just that kind of cat how I, I always come up with so many different kinds of ideas so a bunch are still on the shelf uh me and my friend uh jordan zwingerman from the space he uh he helps me produce these ideas and get them on paper and helps me figure out which ones are good and which ones aren't and you know like i've <laughs> always been doing this my whole life man so you know this one this one worked well congratulations good for you ryan and listen you're doing good out there because uh, you know people as i said want these rinks these restrictions are tough and it's get this gets people outdoors and, and join the outdoors safely so thanks for your time hey not a problem thank you hal you take care dane Bourchet, the founder of jib stop dane good afternoon hey good afternoon hal uh, thanks for doing this meth awareness day jib of course is slang uh for meth and uh, i was saying earlier obviously these days we're focusing a lot on covid19 but i know the meth uh, crisis continues the problem is is it getting worse i'm hearing it's worse yeah you know what it's really it, it really kind of ebb and flows with the with the news cycle as far as people's perspective um but nothing's really changed as in as in anything getting better anyways there's still long especially with covid and everything there's still now longer wait times to get into detox and into treatments and it's just it's just a lot more difficult than it was even say a year ago today so if somebody wanted some help with their meth problem it's harder to get that help right now because of covid19 yes that's correct for sure increased wait times and just less staff available i know uh one of our like i know main street projects they this was a couple weeks ago but they had to let they had an outbreak with their staff and there were seven people in the men's detox and they had to kick them all out kind of basically out on the streets because they had no staff to uh to support them and i knew two of the individuals that were in there at that time actually so it's it's definitely brought its own challenges and stuff and it's great that we have this mass addiction awareness day and everything but um, I think it's obviously time that uh, we have other people step up as far as in the government and the three levels of government step up and try to do something to help us. 
What, what, what kind of help would you like to see? A day like this, an awareness day like this is all about education. I know that's a big part of it. That's why we're chatting. But what else is needed? What else would you like to see? Uh, you know, and it, it's real hard to even talk talk about it because everything's so focused on COVID. But there's mm-hmm. one thing that we've all been saying for so long is that we need a 24-7 withdrawal management system or, or place where somebody can go the day that they want help. They can go in and they can check in and they can be there until they can get into a treatment facility. Yeah, because when that person says, all right, I'm ready, uh, if that helps not there when they say that, uh, it, it can be just uh, minutes or, or hours and that changes, right? Yeah, exactly, for sure. And even at the long part, like right now, you could be looking at a month or two to get into treatment and somebody's somebody's will, chances are, can't last that long and especially right now with all the the 12-step and self-help programs and everything they're all shut down pretty much except i think there's a couple running um but they're they're not exempt they're not uh they're not deemed uh essential service which is really too bad because we've seen a, a large increase in people relapsing and going back out without without this human connection and without being able to work on themselves it's made it a lot more difficult it just doesn't have quite the same effect doing it online but we're all just doing what we can to kind of to move forward and to help in any capacity that we can, really. And that's what Jibsaw has been doing, too. We have a virtual healing circle, which we're going to be announcing tomorrow when that's going to be and stuff like that. And just we're just trying to work with what's available to us, basically. Yeah. Would something like that, a virtual healing circle, would it have the same impact? Would it work as well virtually as opposed to in person? Or is it sort of the, the best you can do right now? It's really just the best we can do right now in working with what's. It's definitely not ideal. Um, it's it's really crazy to me. Some of these other self-help groups aren't able to keep going. Um, some of them are in really large rooms. You can socially distance 10 feet apart. You can sanitize in and out. We can, we can have more measures than they would have at any of these big box stores and Costco or whatever. And it's, um, I think it's, it would save a lot more people than, than people even realize. You know what I mean? Like since this whole COVID start, I know of almost 10 people who have uh, who have overdosed and that not directly from meth, but they're all involved in the meth use anyways. And, and those are people who might have been able to get into treatment or something like that if they uh, if that was available, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope the restrictions can loosen a bit to allow for that sort of thing to happen. But obviously right now uh, it, it can't happen. I had police on a while ago and, and they were saying that they're seeing an increase in, in opioid abuse uh, right now. Meth is, is obviously a continuing uh, problem, uh, but they're saying that opioid uh, use and abuse is, is sort of a, a real problem uh, that they're encountering out there. I'm I'm curious to know that, uh, you know, with the stresses of COVID-19 and everybody's got their challenges right now, uh, a user and an abuser out there, are people, because of the stresses and everything that's happening around this pandemic, are there people that are turning uh, to meth out there right now that maybe wouldn't under different circumstances? Are you seeing any of that, uh, Dane? You know, I think I think so for sure. We've seen a little bit of an increase in people calling that are are very fairly new to it. So, and I'm not sure if just our exposure is increasing. So, and that's why we're getting more phone calls from people like that, or if it is just more new people starting out. But the thing with the opiates and the meth is, many many of these people are cross addicted, or they do both. And um, like those, the underground, like they aren't separate. You know what I mean? Like somebody sure. who 
somebody who does opiates or whatever quite often does or knows or hangs around with a bunch of people that use meth. And it's all really intertwined and interconnected. And we really kind of see a, a, a raise in the opiate overdoses and, and dips. It directly relates to like the current cost of meth in the city, I, I believe, anyways. There's a lot more people... For a while there, a few months back, it was a lot more expensive than it ever than it had been in years and years, and I think that drove people to use more opiates because they couldn't they couldn't get it. And uh, yeah, so and now I I believe that we're going to see kind of a decrease in that with it, with prices of meth kind of flat or flatting out, getting back to what they usually are. And uh, yeah, and I think it's it's really it just kind of ebb and flows, and it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it is the amazing job our, our police do and they've had some really big busts lately which has been so good and it's uh it's nothing but positive but there are but there are consequences to that and i i believe that's one of them for sure mm-hmm. when meth prices were up and you say they're coming back down again now is that just simply the, not a lot out there demand raises the price right it's a supply and demand thing i think I think about four or five months ago, they must have, well, not they must have, I know they had some really big busts. They caught like a, a really large shipment coming into the city. And then all of a sudden, that makes the other people bringing it in, like because there's way less available, they can jack their prices way up. And it's just, it's a, it's not even, I don't even believe it's really controlled like that. It's just really supply and demand. And it's, it's who you know and what you can get at that given time you know hey dane thanks for your time and keep up the great work out there you are a grassroots organization that's making a real difference out there thank you Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.